uh, if you have your Bibles, um, there's a four-word scripture. Doesn't mean the sermon's going to be short. Uh, in Exodus 20:15, okay, four little words. What does Exodus 20:15 say? Thou shalt not steal. That's right. Um, we're really going to focus a little more in Joshua chapter seven this morning. Um, and so if you want to go ahead and find your place there, um, we'll, uh, we'll look at that in just a moment. Um, this morning we understand and we know that this is a commandment that God gave and the latter half of the commandments are really more relational stuff that we deal with, uh, more with people, You, you know, the first Uh, several look towards our relationship with the Lord, which has to be solidified and founded before we can really deal rightly with people. But uh, this is one of those commandments where um, most of us think that we're good, that we don't steal. You know, we don't break in to people's homes. We don't break into people's vehicles. Uh, I would bet most all of us have been stolen from before, though, and uh, it leads us to think certain things about thieves, We don't think too favorably, too highly of thieves. But sometimes we may misinterpret God's intention because he's not just speaking to thieves. He's speaking to all of us. And this is a heart position, uh, a, a way of dealing not only with God, because it's easy for us to rob from God and not even know about it or do it unconsciously, but it's also easy for us to steal from others. And we'll look at that this morning Um, Jesus, I think that that's the story that's in your bulletin, uh, hung between two thieves, two men that broke the Eighth Commandment. That was their their crime, was crucifixion. And yet, there is redemption for thievery and, and for stealing. And one of those men, it depends on, again, the position and condition of your heart, the ability to repent and to ask in faith. And one of those men was saved. Jesus told him, he said, uh, surely today you will be with me in paradise. I thought it was interesting. Uh, you usually look for um, statistics or quotes or things, and one of the things that I came across was a Barna survey. Uh, this is about six or seven years old. But it said that 86% of adults claimed that they completely satisfied God's commandment of not stealing. Almost 9 out of 10 people would claim, I don't steal. And I think for the most part, we, we measure sins and we think, well, I haven't stolen money. I didn't go and steal something from somebody. But it's crazy how much thievery goes on in the world today. And so this is not just a word against those whom most of us would say that we dislike or even despise in thieves and robbers, but it has application for us as well, even those of us who think we're good, honest folks. What is God forbidding in the Eighth Commandment? Well, he's not just forbidding theft and robbery. Those things are obviously wrong. Stealing is wrong. There's nobody, I think, that would doubt that morally. There are people that will try to justify it, and there are people that will still do it, but it's a law, and it's a commandment. And so we can set a, a, a base layer, a floor, if you will, morally to say that that's wrong, and we can all agree to that. But what else is God forbidding in this Eighth Commandment? In his sight, theft also includes cheating. And that's a broad brush, because you can cheat at anything, anywhere, at any time. We play uh, board games at the staff retreat, and Brian always cheats, okay? Um, 
I, I remember my little brother. Uh, we used to, my dad, <laughs> I told you all I had a tattoo last week. I'm going to tell you this this week, okay? My dad used to teach us, he taught us how to play poker, okay? Uh, we were little kids, though, so, you know, we weren't, we weren't gambling. But my brother would always sit on the side of the bed on his knees where the mattress and the box spring are, and he would hide the aces between the mattress. I mean, he did that when he was three or four years old. I remember there was a story <laughs> uh, where we lived, we grew up in Hackett, which is outside of Greenwood, if you know where that is, south of Fort Smith. My grandmother lived in Van Buren, and we had gone to visit her one day, and there was a, I believe it was a Safeway grocery store. And um, I was in kindergarten, and I remember this well because I had a He-Man lunchbox. Some of y'all know who He-Man is, and some don't. Um, and I had the little He-Man thermos that went in it, those little plastic, I don't know if it's plastic or metal. Anyway, um, we had gone in the grocery store to get groceries, and I was with my mom, and um, I, I saw her turn around to do something, and I put a Hershey's candy bar in my pocket. And uh, I'm not as bad as Ben Rowell, okay? He's dipping when he's that age, uh, chewing snuff, whatever, but... I put a Hershey's candy bar in my pocket, and I hid that thing, man. I hid it from my mom, and she was making my lunch the next day, and she had walked out. She had my, my sandwich and my thermos and whatever else was in there, and I hurriedly snuck that Hershey's candy bar under my thermos, and she came in, and she tried to put the lid down, and it wouldn't close, and she lifted it up, and she said, Aaron, where did this come from? And I said, I stole it. And I'll never forget that because, I mean, just ashamed of myself. And I'm thankful for what my mom did. Uh, we went back to the grocery store in Van Buren, and she made me take it back to the cashier and give it back to her. And I'm glad she did that because there's a lesson in that. Uh, I, don't, I probably got spanked too. Who knows what happened. But it scarred me for the rest of my life. All right, I, I don't, I don't want to steal, okay, intentionally steal, but I know that there are many times that I've broken some of these other ideas of the commandments. And so cheating, swindling someone, using inaccurate measurements, that seems like we think about that as an antiquated type of sin, but it still happens today in lots of places. Um, failure to pay your debts, that's stealing from someone. Fraudulent claims, counterfeiting money. Charging excessive interest, plagiarism, trickery, tax evasion, refusing to work for a living. You're living off of somebody, and so there's some idea of this involved. All forms of greed, anything that's founded upon greediness, it will be a house that's built on the sand. It's a, a house that will not stand, and then pointlessly squandering God's gifts. And you think about, what has God given you as far as talent and ability goes? And if you do not use those things, either for the betterment of others or for the glory of God, are you not just squandering but stealing from what the Lord has given you? Some might add to this, um, not giving back to God. And that's a point of stealing. Or even malicious gossip, gossip or rumors. And a lot of us would never think of that as stealing. But is not the intent to steal somebody's character and integrity? To harm them? To take from them what they need in order for others to find honor or respect in them. Stealing is taking what doesn't belong to you. It could also be defined, I believe, as not giving what you should when you know you should. So the, 
the person who is without clothes, that is starving and cold, comes to our door, and this is a New Testament example. And we tell them as we open the door, oh, you look awful. Man, bless your heart, you look so cold. You know what? I'm going to send you away with a blessing. Be warm and filled, and may the Lord protect you. And then you shut your door on them. Well, you really stole from that person. You stole the opportunity that you had to be a blessing to them. That was taken. But you could have given. And there are so many instances of this in our lives. We remember that the Ten Commandments are moral laws. They were given to Israel specifically uh, as a cultural law, as a way of them living a certain way. But they're moral laws, which means they're universal. The, The Ten Commandments are true for everyone everywhere, not just for Jews, but also for us Gentiles as well. We think about all the examples in the Bible, and there's far too many to list. You think about Rachel. When they fled her father Laban's house, she stole his household gods. Ahab, horrible wicked king, and his queen Jezebel stole Naboth's vineyard, and they had an entire kingdom. Ananias and Sapphira, they held back their giving to the Lord. They robbed God, and then they lied about their sin to cover it up. There are so many accounts of stealing, and yet they are also met with God's judgment on these things. The one that I want to share this morning comes from Joshua chapter 7. I don't know if you have that in your Bible. I don't have it on the screen, but there are places that I want to reference in Joshua 6 and 7. And this is the story of a man named Achan, A-C-H-A-N. It's the story of his sin and God's punishment. Now, Achan was an Israelite. If you remember the story that the the Israelites had fled Egypt, they had uh, part, the God had parted the Red Sea. There's so much great miraculous deliverance. There's a, a, a cloud of fire and the pillar that follow them. Uh, they come to a place where the spies are sent out. And there's two men. Anybody remember who the two faithful spies were? Joshua and Caleb. And they, they go into the land that the Lord has promised, the promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey. And they bring back two of the twelve bring back this report, and they say, man, this is incredible. You should see the size of the grapes over there. I mean, this is the place. God wasn't lying when he told us this is where we're supposed to be going, and he's going to give us that. The rest of the spies, they had said, they are too big. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. And so the people who were saying, in essence, and we sang a lot about fear this morning and about love, but They doubted God's ability to provide for them in this next instance. They shrunk back, and they said, Joshua and Caleb, y'all are crazy, and we're going to go ahead and not pursue what God's trying to give us because it's too scary. And because of that, there was a wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And we know this, that um, Achan was probably born during this time of the wandering. You think about women who were pregnant or had babies, and they're in this desert area, and there's so much going on. And, And Achan is born in this. He's heard stories from his parents and his grandparents about God's deliverance, and he's kind of growing up in this hardship to the point where that whole generation, anybody over 40, passes away. That's God's judgment on them. They're, because of their lack of faith, because of their disbelief in God, because of their lack of love for God and obedience, uh, that generation passes away, and the younger generation will move forward. Joshua is now the leader. Moses is out of the picture. And the first place that they go, they're going to the promised land. God said, I'm giving you this land. But what do they have to do for it? The very first thing, they had to fight for it. 
And guys, there's great lessons in that, but that's not the point of this message this morning. But what God is giving you doesn't mean that you will not have to put up a fight to obtain it and acquire it. Faith is still involved. God is testing our faith at times to see how badly we want what he wants to give us. And what he wants to give us is infinitely better than the wilderness that we are okay and content with wandering and walking in. And yet, they come to this place of Jericho, this immense fortified city, walls that are estimated, estimated at 12 to 18 feet thick. These, this place is unconquerable. It's overwhelming to come to and to see. And here's Achan fighting in that battle alongside Jericho. He's marching around the cities. God commanded the Israelites in Joshua 6 and 7, uh, when we talk about the destruction of Jericho, to destroy the whole place. And God was going to be the one that did it because of Jericho's great sin. You can go back in Joshua and read more about the sin of Jericho, but it was an abominable thing in God's sight. The only one that was saved in the city was Rahab and her household because of her faithfulness to the Israelite spies that she had hidden. God commanded that unlike most victories at Jericho, everything in it was accursed or devoted to destruction. Those are God's words. And God warns in chapter 6, verse 18 and 19, anyone taking spoils from Jericho would make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble upon it. Anyone taking anything. Okay, and so that doesn't mean, hey, I've got my, my click over here, and we're not going to take anything. Um, but he means everybody. He wasn't just talking to soldiers. He was talking to every family member. And the walls of Jericho, we know, fell down flat. They walked upon them and into the city. God gave them a, a, a massive, immense victory that was miraculous in its total effect. Achan was there. Achan wasn't some pagan. He was an Israelite. He wasn't some petty thief. He came from one of the most prominent families in the tribe of Judah. Achan had experienced God's hand of protection. He had seen God's deliverance. He knew about God's salvation. He had tasted and seen that the Lord was good, and yet he fell. God never stopped showing favor to Achan. In fact, Achan would marry, he would fill his tents with children and with servants, his herds and his flocks would multiply, he would become a man of great prominence and even substance amongst his people. He was a war hero, he'd been part of the fall of Jericho, he'd seen God's miraculous deliverance and victory, he was highly favored. You know the man had been to temple worship where he had seen and experienced in ritual sacrifices to the Lord. He'd been faithful in battle. He knew victory. He also understood prosperity. He wasn't desperate in this attempt, but we see what's going to happen as we set up this story. How does a man like that fall and hurt so many people in the process? And guys, I paint the picture of Achan because he's like a lot of us. He looks the part. He acts the part. He comes from the right heritage. He walks amongst the right people. He goes to church. He's there, and he says the right things, and he does the right things, and he carries his Bible with him. And these things are all present in some of our lives. So what happens to make some of us fall so far? Well, we have to understand that there are a lot of us, just like Achan, who've been favored by God, who have a knowledge of God, an understanding of God, a belief in a God. They've even experienced God's victories. But even these folks can be without salvation. The question is, was Achan redeemed? Now, I said that he looked apart. He did the right things. He made the right sacrifices. He had the right heritage. But his salvation, 
is what is in question. The Lord told us of such men. Jesus spoke of such people when he talked about the sowing of seeds. There are some seeds that fell into the stony ground, and there's some seed that fell into the weeds. The weeds finally strangled it out, and they killed the good growth that had come up. You know, uh, I planted rye in, in some parts of my yard this last year, and it seemed like it would take forever for it to come up. And then when it finally did, it overtook everything. You know, we've got different plants here at the church and probably in your gardens as well. And you, you look at the work of the garden out there, and I know that uh, Brother David and Mike Butler and others have worked and, 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 and done things in this garden. For some who didn't know, there was a farmer's market that was set up. There's still vegetables over there. But what happens when it's not constantly tended, when you don't constantly pay attention to your life, to your heart, to your relationship with the Lord, things spring up, th- things grow up, and they'll choke out of us the goodness. There will be sarcasm and, and anger and bitterness and hatred that drive up and will choke out the good things in our lives. And so we have to pay attention. We have to t- keep tending the garden. And so... This is what happened with Achan. He had a lot of privileges, he had a lot of knowledge about God, but he had no faith. And he had very little, if any, grace. He didn't trust God, he didn't walk with God. When it came down to it, he didn't believe God, and therefore he did not obey God. And guys, we have to be careful, because those are descending steps that will take us further and lower and into a worse place. Achan's sin was pride. Lucifer's sin was pride. The initial sin was pride. And guys, I believe that at the root of every other sin that we commit, pride is involved. The pride of Achan led him to disobedience, to stealing, to coveting, and to lying. Guys, it's, it's almost inevitable that one sin is going to lead to another. But they all begin with pride. All those spoils from Jericho were dedicated and concentrated, consecrated in their entirety to the Lord. Everything was to be burned by fire except the gold and silver. Anybody who found or saw gold and silver in Jericho, they were to take it, and they were to take it to the Lord's storehouse. The purpose for the storehouse was because it would bless and benefit all the people, not just one or two who were greedy. It would glorify God. One day they knew that they would build a temple, and so what was brought was to be delivered and given over. The people weren't to make any profit off of this because they didn't do much. They obeyed God, which is the trigger that released everything, but it wasn't the people who devised the strategy. It wasn't the people who had a long holdout campaign. They didn't make the walls fall. They didn't make the enemy be crushed. God did all that, and God was deserving of all the praise. As Achan ran into Jericho, you can imagine, his ears had heard the command of God, the strict warning, don't touch the gold and silver, don't take anything. If you pick up the gold and silver, you take it to the storehouse. Collect it, but deliver it to the Lord. The rest of it is going to be heaped up and burned up. Now, I think God was setting a precedent here. I think this was the first conquest, the first major battle, the first big victory, and God was trying to encourage and instill some confidence in the people. He's going to tell them, I'm doing everything here. I want you to trust me. And I want you to listen to me. There's a test of faith again involved in Jericho. Go into the city, collect the silver and gold. We're going to bless the people and glorify the Lord with it. But the rest of it, that stuff is accursed stuff, the Lord says. It's, it's uh, ungodly, ill-gotten gain. Leave it. And guys, I wish you could see. In fact, look at it. Joshua, turn over to Joshua 8. After the horrible consequences of Achan's sin, which we're getting to, happened, 
In Joshua 8, look what happened. The Lord said to Joshua, verse 1, Do not fear or be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise and go up to the city of Ai. See, I've given you, I've given into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king just as you did to Jericho and its king. You shall take only its spoil and its cattle as plunder for yourselves. And so they went up, verse 3, to the city of Ai. Joshua chose 30,000 men, valiant warriors, and sent them out at night. He commanded them, saying, See, you're going to ambush the city from behind. Don't go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. And I'll stand, and I and all the people who are with me will approach the city and We'll come out and they'll meet us first. And he devised the scheme. Joshua is one of the greatest military strategists of all time. But the point of the story is, and there's more into that, as you can see, they rose early in the morning. They did as the Lord said. And this time, they were given the spoils of war. We're going to see in just a moment what happened to Achan. He died. His family died. All of his possessions were burnt up. 36 men who had gone to the city of Ai originally were dead because of his greed. And yet, had he just waited, had he been patient and waited upon the Lord, abided in him, trusted him enough to say, you know what, I've got enough. Everything I have, God's blessed and and prospered me in all the ways that I've done. I don't need that junk. It's just out of greed and lust. It's out of covetousness. Had he just waited a couple of days Man, he would have filled up his tent. I mean, he hid this stuff that he stole, this wedge of gold, 200 shekels of silver, and this beautiful Babylonian garment. He hid it deviously under his tent rugs. And, you know, it was there, and, and I, I, I don't know. I'm sure his family had to know about that. I don't know what Achan shared with them. But had he waited a couple of days, they wouldn't even have been able to sit in their tent because of all the stuff they could have put in there as treasure. But he couldn't wait. Achan rejected God's commands as he ran into Jericho. He coveted in his heart. He stole these objects. He snuck around. He was devious and deceitful. He hid them under his tent. But they were accursed things. They brought wickedness because they were plagued by God because God said, no, those aren't for you. Man, they were alluring to the eyes. But they weren't good for his heart or his people. They were greedily obtained. Achan was ensnared by them, and Achan defied God. Now I want to go back to chapter 7 and look at something. Look at verse 1. But the sons of Israel, or some translations say, Israel acted unfaithfully in regards to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, and the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, took some of these things under the ban. Therefore the anger of the Lord burned against, not Achan, against The whole of Israel. There was an inseparable tie. Guys, I'll tell you this, man. I'm afraid of this. Because uh, if, if you come into this place of worship amongst these people of God, amongst the children of God, and there is gross, negligent sin, and you've defied God, and there's rebellion in your heart, and you're living in this open transgression against God, it could bring something upon all of us. Now, on the same hand, the faithfulness of one, we we contrast Achan and Joshua in these passages. Joshua's faithfulness to the Lord, his reverence to the Lord. He heard about the sin. He didn't know about the sin, but he ripped his garments and he went directly into prayer with the Lord. The faithfulness of one 
can lift up a congregation, whereas the unrighteousness and the hatefulness of one can tear up a congregation. It can break unity. There's enough disunity going on in the world right now, but I am so sick and sad to see it, not just in this church, but in other churches, over vaccinations, over sicknesses, over masks, over other issues that we already piled up over the years that we were going to argue about. The color of carpet, the way something was to be built, somehow money was going to be handled or not. There are important issues that should be discussed, but sometimes we let little things destroy us, and we let the author of confusion sneak in, corrupt, and win. Stealing is defiance of God, and defiance lies at the heart of pride. You know, I put a couple of examples up here. We we hear God say, I will provide for you. But how often do we doubt his ability to provide? You know, um, I, I tell you this because Jennifer and I were talking about it yesterday. I mean, for lunch, she made uh, Velveeta shells and cheese, right? And the boys were, were going to eat that. They wanted macaroni and cheese. She sets the bowl down in front of Sparrow and he says, I don't like this kind. I don't want this kind. He wants craft macaroni and cheese. And Jennifer said, how do we stop that for him being so ungrateful for what he's given? And, 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 and I, I, I don't know if the angels don't whisper that in heaven. Man, look at what he gave her. Look how he blessed him. Look how he was patient with that family. How come they're so ungrateful? They didn't get exactly what they wanted. So sometimes we doubt his ability. We see God claim that he'll supply for us. But we're really the ones who know what we need better than God, right? We ponder the privilege of others. They have that. And we feel like that we deserve such favor. The commands to give back to the Lord, but man, this is my stuff. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps to earn it and to gain it. I've worked so hard and long that it is mine. There ain't nothing going back to God. He's already rich enough. We could never part with those things. So, what happens in general when our minds are set like that? Our bodies follow. Our hands and our feet follow. We take, we keep, we lust for more. We're constantly jealous. We're constantly desiring things that maybe God never intended for you to have. And sometimes that's the reality of it. God has given you things, and we're to learn these lessons of thankfulness and contentment. Some things God never meant for you to have. And yet we all live in a culture where we think we're supposed to have everything now. And it's tough to balance that. We're not content, not thankful. And many times this defiance creeps into our lives, just like with Achan, where we defy the Holy One. We even deceive our own selves in the process. Now listen, the amount of stuff that Achan stole, <laughs> there's a place if you study where it says that it's the wages of a dozen shepherds for a year. And that's not a lot of money. That's not going to set you for the rest of your life. You know, like, if you're going to go rob a bank, don't rob $4,000. You know, find the one that has $4 million. Don't do that, okay? But it doesn't matter whether you steal 10 cents or 10 million bucks. Either way, you've defied the living God, and you are a thief. Whatever category falls, whatever domino falls, where you are breaking trust with God and defying God, there is thievery in our hearts. 
Murders have been committed for tennis shoes, for cell phones, for people who, after they've killed somebody and they've taken their wallet out, all they find is a driver's license and some pictures of their kids. There's no money in there, anything of worth. So it's not about the sum, it's about the transgression. Little things so often show the state of a man or a woman's heart. Little symptoms so often are the signs of this deadly and incurable disease. The, the, the fruit, whatever it was, if it was an apple or a pear, who knows. The fruit that Eve ate of was a little thing, but what did it do? It exposed and proved that she'd fallen from innocence and that she'd become a sinner. A little bitty ship, a little bitty crack in a ship's hull proves that great vessel to be unseaworthy. A little bitty crack that goes unnoticed, or if it's noticed, it doesn't care for. Think about some rivets in an airplane's wing. Or there's a chip in the fan blade of an airplane, and you see it as you're boarding the plane. You want to get on that plane and fly over the ocean in it? No. There's danger in the little things because they can always, if left unchecked and unfixed and unguarded and unconfessed, lead to bigger things. The petty jealousies, the small anger, the little unfaithfulness, the little greed, the tiny flirtations, the paltry pridefulness. I deserve more. I'm not treated fairly. I am owed that thing. Man, we let those things creep in. And guys, sometimes it causes us to steal from our employer. Sometimes it causes our employers to steal from us. Sometimes it causes us to think evil thoughts and do bad things. But what happens when those little signs are constantly plaguing you? Throw up a piece of straw in the air. And where the wind blows it, that's the true direction of the wind. And those things are showing you something true about yourself as well. Anything that costs you your integrity costs you too much. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits or loses his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Tread carefully with this little commandment because there are so many things that are so appealing to us and it may be little bitty things. And you may take it subconsciously or without even knowing. How many of us have taken one of these from the bank or the post office? Um, but who was it, Mike? You were telling me a story about something uh, about that you felt so guilty over, right? And, and you went and, and took it back. I, I remember um, it's really easy when you have little kids that throw stuff into your cart uh, and you don't even realize sometimes, or maybe your, your handbag uh, catches on a pair of earrings and you walk out of the store not knowing. Those things aren't sin. It's what you do with it once you're faced with it that reveals where your heart is. The things that were hidden under Achan's tent told you the story of what was hidden inside of its heart. What's hidden in your heart, guys? Achan showed us pride. He showed us rebellion, a real lack of godly fear. He didn't revere God anymore. There was a disbelief in God. Achan was showing that he knew better than the Lord. The items under his tent spoke of a secret love for the things of the world. Possessions were more important to him than really obeying the Lord. He saw all the provision of God, the impossible happen, the miraculous occur. He had seen those things happen where it should never have been able to have happened. And he saw the God that did that, and yet the little bitty things stole his heart. And some of us have been swept away like Achan. 
his life had really become about prosperity and possessions. It had become about himself. And I'll tell you this this morning, guys, if I didn't say another word this morning, is this. Be careful of the desire to make yourself comfortable, to prop yourself up, to make yourself look good, to get that appearance of control or prosperity or, or to shield yourself and make yourself look better at the expense of where your heart is before the Lord because this is where the danger lies. The command to Achan wasn't difficult. It wasn't complicated. Take the silver and gold you find, take it to the storehouse, everything else, burn it up. But Achan refused. And I believe this because it can happen to us very easily, even good godly folks. The self-justification takes over. God becomes less important, less trustworthy, even less valuable than the stuff, like the gold wedge and the silver coins. Things of this world, they take us to places where we forget about the goodness of God, and therefore we stop relying by faith on God's hand. We can provide for ourselves. We can plan for ourselves. We can protect ourselves and prosper ourselves better than God could. And that's this mentality. Our stuff can become more wonderful than our Savior. And those little treasures and trinkets become bigger than the living God to us. And we forsake him. And what it all amounts to is judgment. Achan not only saw his greed and defiance diminish him, but it also destroyed him. Theft is an act of worship, not worship of God, because you can steal from God. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. But man, what you put so much time into devising, what you put so much energy and effort into pursuing, all the, the stuff that you're doing to spend time on those things, you think about the genius uh, uh, there was a, a movie years ago uh, about a man who uh, had this check-kiting uh, scheme. It was a Tom Hanks movie, I think, right? Um, and, and he was genius in how he became this millionaire in pursuing this ill-gotten gain. And at the end of the movie, it says that he was hired by the government, uh, which doesn't surprise any of us, a thief was hired by the government, all right? Uh, to help them detect fraud. And, and it's genius, really. But you think about the evil plots and plans, the schemes and the, the division of time that people put into these things, and how if they would only use that energy for righteousness and good and holiness. Think about your own life, the ways you're trying to cut corners and, and cheat around and do things. Man, what if you just put that much energy and attention into serving and obeying God? And so it comes down to this. Stealing, like any of these commandments, not only breaks the commandment, but it also breaks God's heart for his children. Achan's sin never just affected himself. It affected his family, his tribe, and the whole of Israel. In Joshua 7.1, God said that the Israelites, because God accounted Achan with the whole body, Guys, I'll tell you this right now. If one of, one of those in our midst who was a member of this church on the church roll went out and murdered somebody, and it was put in the paper on the news, Joe Blow of First Baptist Church of Lowell killed a man. There's a black eye on this church. When I was a youth pastor in Alma, there was a young man who was a youth pastor at a different church, and it was found that he had been having a, a, an adulterous relationship with a 15 going into a 16-year-old girl 
for a while. He was married and had four kids. Once it was discovered, and the pastor tried to cover it up a little bit, and, and some things were said to try not to uh, harshly judge this young man that had done these things. And I say young man, he was probably 30. The church fell apart. It wasn't three months later that that church building, beautiful property, was for sale. People had left and gone elsewhere because they couldn't do that anymore. And what a black eye it was on the church, on the city of Alma, on pastors, on ministers, on people who follow Jesus. Man, we carry a responsibility. We are our brother's keepers, and we have to be mindful of that. And so God's judgment burned against all of Israel because of Achan's sin. Achan's sin defiled everyone else. And maybe that's what you need as the stopgap in your life to think, you know what, I'm not going to do this, or I'm going to stop doing this, or I'm going to repent of this today because I can handle if I'm judged or if I get caught doing this, but I don't want it to bleed over and hurt everybody else. Achan's sin caused God to hold back blessing upon the next battle that was coming. Man, they had just defeated Jericho, and now they got a little bitty old city called Ai, pronounced exactly like it's spelled. And man, they go in and they take a couple of thousand guys into the city, and man, surely, man, they've done everything that God said. They don't know about Achan's hidden sin. They don't know the secret there. And what happens? 7, verses 4 and 5. The Israelites were routed by the men of Ai, who killed 36 of them. 36 men died because of Achan's sin. 36 brothers or husbands, fathers or sons, did not return home because of Achan's greed. Remember this, guys, because your sin can have a, a, a positive or a negative, an upbuilding, edifying, or destructive, debilitating effect on the rest of the camp. So be mindful of it. When we steal, it's never a victimless crime. When we withhold from God or cheat our neighbors, it's not petty. We fool ourselves when we disobey and defy God. And I'll tell you this in closing, to not let anything, and I mean anything, I don't care how hard it is. Brian preached a couple of weeks ago about if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. I know those are crazy examples. But God's saying there shouldn't be anything that keeps you from doing what's right. I mean, if you have to cancel cable, cancel internet, get rid of your smartphone and get an old flip phone, if you have to do anything, no matter how drastic if it is, if it saves your soul, do it. Don't toy with God's truth. Guys, God is worthy to be treated with dignity and honor and respect and obedience even if it means repenting of our sins, even today. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to point out something in Scripture and just tell you this. God isn't some cruel, mean God. There's a verse in Joshua 7 that actually starts in verse 13, where the Lord calls Joshua and he says, you get out there and you tell your people that tonight they have the opportunity to repent because tomorrow they're going to have to face the music. And there was the whole night where Achan had heard and he could have confessed and brought the treasure up. And yet he didn't do anything with it. But God was so gracious and merciful that he allowed another opportunity to be forgiven. 
Is there an aching here today? Man, I hope not. But I'm going to tell you what. If you're him, God will forgive you. There ain't nothing he can't forgive you for. He'll restore you. Joel 2 says that the Lord will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And guys, he can bring back restoration for you as well. It's going to take some heavy repentance, but it just takes a little bit of faith. Is there someone here who knows God's will and maybe is secretly defying it? Maybe none of the rest of the people on your pew or even in your own family, in your own house, know what you're doing. Is your sin bringing barrenness or weakness upon this congregation and you're being a hamper to its growth because of what's going on in your life? I'm not telling you to leave. I'm telling you to get right with Jesus today. Are you knowingly the cause of removing God's blessing from your life or the lives of someone else because of what you're doing and you're playing with fire? And if it gets exposed, you're ruined, but you'll bring a lot of other people down with you. Are you tolerating what God tells you to destroy? What is that specific wedge of gold or that Babylonian garment in your life today? And guys, I'll tell you this not to condemn you, but because God is a God of mercy. The just shall live by faith, not by sight. It's the sight that leads us into sin, but the faith delivers us. And if we will come and confess our sins before the Lord, and that is all, it takes humility and trust in Him. Confess them. That He is so faithful and so just and so righteous to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from everything that you have done. There is restoration awaiting you. There is healing and forgiveness, and there is a recompense. Even when you have been a thief, a defier, a murderer, a liar, whatever it is you've done, whatever sin you've committed, it's not bigger than your God. And Jesus wants to be the one who cleanses you and forgives you and sets you right and makes you new so that you don't live under the weight and the shame of that. Don't let stuff become your Savior. Don't let mammon become your master. Come near to God. This morning, His promise is that He will draw near to you. You might be like the prodigal that took and wasted and squandered and abused and lied and and, and took advantage of, and yet you finally make the moment to step out of your pew, to step up, to stand up. And what is the Father doing? He's looking for you, and He's running after you and he's putting his robe on you and all is forgiven and all is well and you're made whole again humble yourself before the Lord today and his promise is that he'll lift you up confess your sin ask God to forgive you to cleanse you and taste and see that he is good and loving and pure this is a God who is for you that wants to restore you that will make more of you than you could ever make of yourself. And guys, as as we internalize and examine ourselves before the Lord as we close this morning, we also thank God. If you've been faithfully serving the Lord, people don't have to know about it. God knows. 
If you've been giving and doing and helping and, and whatever it is, maybe it's not just in the church house but in the world, man, you're making a difference in this world. Keep doing the good. Keep glorifying the Lord and watch Him prosper you. There's a big difference between defeat in Joshua 7 and getting the spoils in Joshua 8. Be patient with the Lord as He's patient with you. And Father, we, we give ourselves to you this morning. And we pray that you would draw us near to you. Let us confess. Let us be saved. Let us repent. Let us commit to be baptized. Let us commit to join the church. Whatever it is that you're working in our hearts to do, Lord, let the Holy Spirit have free reign. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.